1: They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
0: The
2: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To
3: contact us, email now, michael at
2: lmfm.ie.
3: Friday morning, the 9th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. You probably heard the forecast is for temperatures today of between 18 and 21 degrees. It rolls off the tongue with little thought. We might hope it'll be warm and dry today, but we're casual about the three degree difference between the highest and lowest temperatures. When we talk about the Earth's temperature, an increase of three, four or five percent is on one hand possible, but on the other hand, inconceivable. The best minds in the world are trying to limit global warming by By 1.5%. The role agriculture plays in global warming and how that impacts on the land is the focus of the latest report from the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The report was compiled over two years. 108 scientists from 52 countries assessed 7,000 scientific publications. There was 28,000 contributions from experts, reviewers and governments. Land is where we Live, and we live on 70% of the land on this planet where there is no ice. Man's influence on the land has already resulted in heat waves, droughts, flooding, wildfires, and coastal erosion. If it worsens, there'll be less food, less land, food shortages, famine, movement of people, war and extinction of the species. Let's talk about this with Catherine Devitt, head of policy with uh, the Stop Climate Change Coalition and Michael Fitzmaurice, who's an independent TD for Roscom and Galway. Good morning to you both and thanks for joining us. Michael Fitzmaurice, first of all, uh, I'm sure like everybody else, you want to pass, pass on this planet to our, our children and to our grandchildren. But if we're facing the end of mankind and the destruction of the planet, we must listen to what the experts are saying. And they're saying very clearly, we need to eat less meat and adopt healthy and sustainable diets, diets that are based on coarse grains, pulses and vegetables, nuts and seeds. What do you think of all of that? Well, first
4: of all, um, good morning, Michael. Um, if you look at the, or if you read the report, um, there are a few things that uh, come out very clearly to you. They talk about industrial-sized farming, and they also talk about cutting down grain And if you look at uh, the the Irish government, policy policy the EU policy, um, go back a few weeks ago, Michael, and look at the likes of the Mercosur deal, where Brazil is cutting large amounts, and indeed burning large amounts, of the rainforest. Mm. Um, and if you look at the policy of governments down through the last number of years um, for farmers, um, and if you read this report, you'll see where they talk about the family farm, or the smaller farm, they didn't say family mm. Well, uh, if
3: you're selective in how you read the report is what you're saying, because it does does refer to those things, but it also refers uh, to man's influence on the land and agriculture.
4: agriculture. Can I just finish on that? If you look at what they're saying, they're talking about this industrial type farming keeps continuing. When you look at different parts of the world, what's going on, when you look at, say, Europe, the policy that they have brought forward, when you look at Ireland, even the government in the line of Um, And I said this on numerous occasions, coming from a farming background, coming from a, a family farm, a small family farm, the way Fairman was done, and you look at okay. some of the policies.
3: You're, you're, the but policies but you're being, you are being in selective. In of, you are being selective. You're, you're being selective. Uh, and I'm, not be, I'm not being selective. You are. That's what, that's what you're, you're, right. you're ignoring how agriculture is, is responsible for 23% of the greenhouse gases. You're ignoring uh, how 44% uh, for of carbon dioxide is produced from methane, uh, which well, from comes first predominantly of, first from of cattle. All,
4: um, I think we have to understand that if you go plant based or you know, whichever type of farming that you talk about, even for a person that's living in the city, there will be all those emissions, right? You, you just won't bring it down to zero on farming. Second of all, it was very interesting on the report where they talked about forestation. And they seem to be very much against this, you know, when we see the policy that's being driven here of growing spruce trees and then cutting them again. And that's in the report as well, Michael. So there's a lot of eye-opener things as well in this report.
3: Okay, but do you recognise what it's saying about meat?
4: Well, what they have said is that people around, the, that, uh, that they would uh, hope that people would eat less meat. Um, the reality of it is that Ireland is the best country with our system of of uh, a grass-based system. There are parts of the world, Michael, that mm. is, uh, an animal never sees out they are within a nearly a desert where, the, where, the, where they are producing meat. That is not sustainable. And where you can do something good, do it good, we're, we're, we're not able to grow some of the, you know, the fruits and veg that they would talk about in that report and some other countries able to do that better. And we need to do that in a sustainable way.
3: Catherine David, do you believe that is the reality of it or is it a, a selective view?
5: Um, I think it's a selective view. I think the reality here in Ireland is that our emissions from the land use sector are projected to to rise over the next decade, so they're going in the wrong direction. And I think something that we actually forget in a lot of the conversations here is that Irish farmers are actually already being impacted by climate change. We saw it last year in terms of a prolonged period of drought. We see it every year in terms of severe flooding. And, uh, And we also saw that last year, according to Chagosk, there were historic lows in terms of farm income. So, you know, and, and that's just in terms of income, not to mention the hardship or the, the mental stress that many of our farmers are already impact, are already feeling because of changes in, in weather, weather patterns. So, you know, I mean, the reality is that we have to change. Mm. Um, and the reality is that, I mean, the report didn't say we have to cut out meat, but they did say that we have to reduce our dairy and meat intake. And mm. we do have to be talking about... Demand here, um, I think, you know, I I hear what uh, Michael is saying in terms of the Mercosur deal and so on, but we need to be talking about reducing demand in the first instance.
3: Yeah, but isn't the reality of it uh, that if you say to some people, hamburger or Armageddon, some people will choose Armageddon?
5: Um, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't, what I don't understand what your, what your point is there. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, we're do,
3: we're talking about the destruction of the planet, aren't we? Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the solutions, and uh, Michael Fitzmaurice is right in what he's saying uh, that uh, this uh, focus is on agriculture and the land. Uh, what happens to the land and what the land does to the planet then as a result. And the very clear advice is that we need to change how we live on the land and how we farm the land, and that we need to eat less meat. Uh, And what I meant by that is that meat produces hamburgers. So uh, are you going to reduce your meat consumption or destroy the planet? Uh, And quite often people will choose the hamburger or to continue eating meat.
5: Yeah, and maybe perhaps that's because we don't grasp the reality of Of the situation, the current situation, and the situation that's unfolding uh, over the next couple of decades. I mean, like we see the 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 changes that are happening under just one degree of warming that has taken place over the last century. Uh, Even this year, we're seeing wildfires where we've never seen wildfires before. We've seen significant melting in our Arctic regions, and we have seen, as I said, as I mentioned last year, prolonged drought here in Ireland, Uh, and that brings a whole range of risks in terms of disease. And one thing that yesterday's report made quite clear is that if we don't uh, ramp up climate action uh, as fast as possible, there will be a significant disruption to our food system. And that, that's rel- as relevant here for Ireland as it is for anywhere else. So I think that perhaps there is, maybe there's a disconnect uh, in in terms of how we consume mm. uh, and knowing the impact then of, of our diet. And I suppose it's important to point out that, you know, the average Irish person Uh, I think, eats twice the the global average of meat and dairy. So we are, you know, quite high. uh, We do have a very high intake of meat and dairy in this side of the world. And that's a privilege that the majority of the global Mm. population, population don't actually... Have And I think another point that's important that gets lost here is that if you look at what we are exporting, Ireland is a very high exporter of, of produce, and we export to very far-off places, mm. uh, such as Southeast Asia, parts of Africa. Um, and, and one of our biggest exports, for example, is in infant milk formula, whey powder. Uh, so, you okay. know, are, are we really, you know, when we talk about food production and feeding a growing population, what is it that we're actually supplying here? Yeah. And I think that's an, a really important point.
3: Well, I, I think actually you're probably very wrong when you say there's a, a disconnect in, in relation to Michael Fitzmorris. And I don't mean to patronise you, Michael Fitzmorris, but I'd regard you as being a, a very intelligent person and I'm sure you're able to join up the dots very no, easily. Oh, no, oh, sorry, oh, oh, when,
5: oh I, when you said disconnect is, I suppose what I meant is that a disconnect between us, uh, w- you know, in terms of what we consume oh, oh, on, oh, on a daily basis. I,
3: I, no, no, I understand. And, and, yeah. and I, I was really just trying to, Uh, get the logic of Michael Fitzmaurice's thinking. Because as I I say, Michael, I I don't mean to patronise you, but you are a very intelligent person. But given what all of these experts are telling us, why is beef so important?
4: First of all, if you just listen to the comments that have been said, that Ireland exports food. Why do you export food? The reason you export food is that you have a country, and if you look at Ireland, and thankfully we, we were able to grow grass, which is good in this country, and we have a produce that's grass-based. Are we going to go down a road? And I think this needs to be debated out. There are countries at the moment that wouldn't have enough land to feed the population that's in it. And are we going to say to them, because in the name of climate change, we're not going to export, even though it's a fair distance, to you, because you know what, it's bad for the climate, but we'll let your people stay now, I think we need to get a bit of cop on of what we're talking about.
3: But there are Ireland, alternatives.
4: Ireland, Ireland thankfully, is able to produce the product no more than some other country is able to produce bananas better than what we might be able to produce them. And what we need to do in the whole circle of the world is where you're good at producing something. And I'm not saying, I'm not ramming down anybody's throat that they have to eat more or less meat. That's up to themselves. That's a decision people will take around the world. And if you are the best at it, rather than cutting down the rainforest abroad in Brazil or doing some other destruction, why, they down, else, why, why would they else cut down, why, 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 would they, sure why would they cut
3: down? Why? would? Why would they cut down the rainforest? Cut, no, but
4: just you need to make sure yeah. that you do what you're good at.
3: But expand and on then, your own point. Expand like on the the your po- expand on your own point before you finish. Why would they cut down the rainforest to farm cattle? Well, I think it's absolutely to farm cattle.
4: Yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's nonsensical yeah. 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 In, so Brazil, it's, yeah. in Brazil. Yeah, in Brazil, doing that. Well, of course it, it is. of course,
3: of course it is. But you can't ask us to think that two wrongs make a right.
4: But 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 at the end of the day, whether we like it or whether we don't like it, even if if everyone around the world cut down by twenty percent, right? Just go, go that way. Mm. There are people. There is still a need for the be- the people that's good at doing something. Um. To, be, to produce it there rather than producing it in an unsustainable way somewhere else.
3: But are you choosing hamburgers knowing they'll cause ham, uh, Armageddon?
4: Well, Michael, um, by people living in a place, and like, like some people are bringing to an extreme, When mm. people getting out in, in the season in the morning, what will they do to offset their carbon? Have a look at Ireland. Let's look at what what, what, we're, what we're talking about. Rural Ireland is a carbon sink for many, many years. People are, there are things changing. There are things that can be done. And I've been very vocal in the line of anaerobic digestion. I've been very vocal in, um, in the line of hedgerow. 6% of our hedgerow in this country, that isn't even included in our emissions because there isn't a the box to take. How about the environment that's trying to get that included uh, in an offsetting for Ireland? There are a lot of things that we can do But at the end of the day, Ireland isn't going to change what some rancher in America does or what somebody Hmm. else does in Brazil. What has to happen is the people in that thin countries needs to do that as well.
3: Okay, Catherine, what's your understanding of what uh, these scientists from around the world are saying about this type of farming? If we continue to do it, Uh, for as long as we can. Does that mean that we can farm this way indefinitely or is there a finite period where the land runs out uh, and uh, there's uh, erosion of the land?
5: Yeah, we're already seeing that, uh, you know, at at some point that uh, climate change and the effects of climate change are going to make it very impossible uh, in terms of water shortage, soil erosion and uh, soil degradation and drought and so on. So, it, it, you know, it, as much as we might like to continue uh, with business as usual, it's not going to be possible. And that was very that point was made very clearly yesterday that it's just not possible at some point that we're going to see massive uh, disruption to our global food system. So let's have a, an important conversation now. Let's put in place the, the necessary changes so that we don't find ourselves in, in utter chaos. In, in 20, 30 years' time. And I think it's just to address some of Michael's points, I mean, the reality is that ireland is quite a poor record on climate change across all sectors not just in terms of agriculture but also in terms of transport and so on but the reality is that uh, and this is the epa's projections that emissions are growing up from the land use sector the current policy is to uh, is to plant uh sick spruce but i mean like it, it, you know can can we genuinely plant our way out of this that, that's an important question can we genuinely continue with business as usual uh, for one part of the country and, and plant and cover the rest of the country under a secret roof. I, I live in Wicklow, so I'm not a city person. And uh, I live, uh, I'm surrounded by dense uh, plantation forest. And it's not a particularly nice uh, place to live because we are talking about a very dead, uh, d- d- you know, a dead zone in terms of diversity and so on. Um, so we have to ask, we have to ask ourselves here in Ireland, what are the choices that we want to make now so that we, we don't find ourselves in a situation where we're paying huge amount of fines from public mm. funds to, to because we're not meeting our targets.
3: Well, the, fi- the, the fines probably won't matter if there isn't a, a planet. Uh, are you a vegetarian?
5: Uh, I will tell you honestly that Mm. um, I was vegetarian for 20 years Mm. and I uh, recently started eating meat again Mm. Uh, but I will say that I do not eat meat every day and I maybe have meat uh, once or twice a week Mm. and uh, my meat is um, local um, and Mm. organic
3: I, I, I was just asking because I'm sure some of our listeners will ask and then they will say it's impossible to be vegetarian. Uh, but yeah, the, the
5: it's, uh, Just to say, like, it's a very valid, I think it's an yeah. important question mm. and I think it's an important conversation. But I think that we have to be very clear that, you know, when we talk about grass-based production here in Ireland, Ireland mm. uh, imports an incredible amount of animal feed and mm. soy uh, from the, from places such as Brazil. So we're, we're already contributing to that deforestation that Michael talks about mm. So I think there is there is a bit of a, a myth here in terms of the system that we do have I in do Ireland.
3: Yeah, well, I do want to come to you on, on the idea of not eating meat all the time because the scientists aren't saying to give up meat, eating meat, uh, Michael. Uh, they're saying that we should reduce our, our meat consumption. Uh, and whilst people might say, it's impossible. We all do it. I mean, we all eat pizzas, vegetarian. We all eat omelettes, vegetarian. We all eat chips, vegetarian. And we all eat a lot of vegetarian food and don't consider it to be vegetarian.
4: Michael, I didn't come on your programme and say the people are to eat meat for the breakfast dinner. Never said that. What I said very clearly was it's up to individuals what to do. And if they wish to do that, that's their own business. Second of all, it's interesting to hear the point made. If you listen to When I started Off, mm. I said, Ireland is flying, is flying in the face of what this report says. Where Ireland is trying to, especially in the west of Ireland, bring these the large amounts of forests they think they'll plant their way out. You'll plant your way out of nothing. What I had promoted, and if, if you listen to what I said there, hedgerows. Hedgerows are not spruce trees. Hedgerows are round houses. Uh, they are white thorns, black thorns. They are beech trees, round farms. And there is ordinary hedge road in likely landings and all that. And these are things that have never been put into our mitigation. Second of all, I've actually encouraged that we would, what we call shelter belts, which the same EU, paid farmers right around this country to knock every ditch and knock every, what we would call a hedge in the farming sense, um, in the 80s, late 80s. And, and if we put in the shelter belts again, we would help. In, in, every, in every farmer could do this. Um, it would help in mitigation measures. Ireland is largely an agricultural country where there's some other countries more industrial. And there are things, and listen, farmers are the most willing in the world Help in anything.
3: Okay, well then uh, they're willing to listen uh, and perhaps uh, they could listen to one of the authors of uh, this report uh, who's uh, meteorologist at Maynooth University, uh, one of uh, the IPCC authors uh, sorry, he's a climatologist, uh, Peter Thorne Professor Peter Thorne, he's quoted in the Irish Times today uh, as saying uh, that this underlines, the report underlines a huge vulnerability facing the country due to reliance on beef and dairying. Uh, the IPCC had demonstrated climate and land degradation we're entwined risks and if we want to reduce risk to land we need to get serious about addressing climate change and change our diets eat less meat he goes on to say
4: the guy is perfectly to his opinion but first of all um, the reality of it okay. is there, there are some people doing other things
3: <laughs> okay, well, it's which, his opinion that we're debating I suppose
4: he yeah, well, was there one are, of the authors of the report yeah I know mm. that yeah. Yeah, and there are some things that other people are doing and um, if, in fairness to the farming community, they are the first out there in the line of where they said, where they talked about anaerobic digestion and different ways of land use. But unfortunately, Michael, let's call a spade a spade here. That if you have a wind turbine, be it in the west of Ireland, someone has to look at it or blow and loud, um, it is subsidised with a feed-in tariff. If someone wants to do in the farming or in the agricultural sector the likes of anaerobic digestion mm. there is nothing there at the moment and in turn government uh, basically give the incentives to try and do that, then you won't have people moving in the
3: towards. Okay, let's uh, just conclude uh, with a a more cynical view to put to you, Catherine Devitt. Uh, What about people who might say, look, this is really only of uh, importance to people in Alaska or the Antarctic or in uh, the Sahara or wherever it is where they have extreme weather conditions. Here it just means we'll get nicer summers. What do you say to that?
5: Um, I would say that's a very simplistic and a very unfair view about how we need to address this problem from a global collective. We can't think in terms of our own little patch, um, particularly when uh, somewhere like Ireland, we're a relatively wealthy country and we're a relatively high emitter. And we have a very poor record on climate change and certainly projections for for the coming decade. When we need to be bringing down our emissions as soon as possible, are looking uh, quite dismal. Just, I, I just want to address a number of points, sorry, just on the hedgerow point, and I think it's important to make clear that there are uh, um, currently surveys in, uh, that the local authorities are doing to look at the mitigation potential of hedgerows. But I think we have to, we have to always come back to the question that, you know, even with the most uh, uh, joint-up hedgerow uh, network across Ireland, is that going to is that going to be enough to bring down the rising emissions from the sector? And again,
4: six percent of our country is going really,
5: really I just sorry I didn't just let me finish, Michael. I think it's really important here. This isn't just about climate. This isn't just about climate. This is also about water quality, soil quality and also about farm incomes okay. and also about farm farm livelihood. And if we look at the Chagos figures, the National Farm Survey It's quite clear that there are many, a high proportion of our farmers that are very economically vulnerable. And we're already seeing this with our beef sector. Okay, well, you've
3: you've both argued very well on opposite sides of uh, this debate. And I have to leave it there, though, because we've run over time. And thank you both for your time and uh, for taking the time to discuss uh, this. I think you've both given us all food for thought this morning. Michael Fitzmaurice, Independent TD for Roscommon Galway. And Catherine Devitt, Head of Policy with the Stop Climate Change Coalition.
0: If it matters to you, it matters to us. Contact Michael now on 1850-715-958.
6: The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid. Managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones.
5: Water, if we all stop to think about it is the most essential, life-giving resource we have. We use it in our homes, businesses, hospitals and farms and share it with every animal and plant on earth. Yet many of us never give it a second thought. Water is precious. Let's use only what we need. To find out how, visit water.ie. Irish water. Safeguarding our water for our future. I was on the streets for about two years Two winters, being hungry,
7: cold, being absolutely miserable all the time. My life has changed since getting my own home. My health's improved, I look better, it's dramatically changed for the better. When I return home and close the door, it's just great knowing that I'm safe, I'm safe.
8: Until they can close their own door behind them, the most vulnerable members of our society will always be at their most vulnerable. Please help. Simon, 50 years of closing doors on homelessness.
5: Drahada's Flakyol Naharan 2019, August 11th to 18th. Make sure you bring the whole family along for a celebration of Irish music, song, dance and language. There's something for everyone throughout the week and it's not to be missed. See Damien Dempsey and band with Tejda and Seamus Begley and Saron and Taig Mulligan at the Coca-Cola Dome, Saturday, August 10th. For full lineup and tickets, visit flakyol.ie.
9: Hi, Theresa Mannion here with a road safety alert for bad weather. Flooding and wet roads make driving hazardous, so slow down and allow extra distance between you and the vehicle in front. Expect the
7: unexpected. Visit rsa.ie from the Road Safety Authority.
6: The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid. Managing and developing the National Electricity Grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our
3: future ones.
6: Call Michael now, 1850-715-958.
3: Now, last year, almost uh, 11,000 motorists were disqualified uh, from driving a total of 10,966 people had uh, their licence disqualified. This year, already seven months into the year, almost as many have had uh, their licence disqualified, over 8,000, 8,090 motorists. Uh, Let's talk about this with Susan Gray, chairperson of PARC. And once again, we're back to how many of them have uh, surrendered uh, their licence just 92% of that total. In other words, 744 out of the 8,090 motorists who have been disqualified from driving have surrendered their licence. Are you surprised by that?
9: No, but first of all, we'd like to um, commend the Guarantee. This seems to be a greater emphasis put now in enforcement when more and more people are being detected and taken to court and um, disqualified. But the figures that you're referring to, Michael, um, a lot of them people may be appealing their disqualification. So there's no onus in them to surrender their licence yet.
3: Mm. And, the, and they may not be driving either, I suppose. That's the other thing. They, they well, All we know for sure is that they haven't surrendered their licence.
9: Yeah, well, if we go back to 2018, we have figures showing that almost 9,000 drivers had court disqualification. We're concentrating on the court disqualification hmm. because when they go to court, they must present their license to the number to be recorded. If they don't, then there's no way of the Gardaí at the side of the road knowing if that person's been disqualified. Mm. Because it will not be on Transferred database, which the Gardaí rely on to get the most up-to-date information on these drivers. But in 2018, there was almost 9,000 with court disqualifications, right? But only 963 of them surrendered their license.
4: Mm.
9: Now, that's a year ago. Now, only 8 were summoned back to court because it is an offence not to surrender your licence. So we asked to Deputy Tommy Bruin how many people last year were summoned back to court for failing to surrender their licence mm. and what was the penalty? The Minister for Justice replied to Tommy Bruin to say that eight eight drivers mm. were summoned back to court last year and not one of them were convicted.
3: Okay. So,
9: so the problem is is there's so many problems, I wouldn't know even where to start.
3: Okay, but to spell that out for people, if I'm disqualified from driving, let's say, and I don't surrender my licence, I could get in my car, I could choose illegally to get in my car and drive. If I'm stopped by the guards, I can show them my licence because I still have the card. They've no way of knowing I'm disqualified. Uh, it's my parents' car, and I have insurance, I have tax, I have NCT, and they wave me on, despite me being disqualified and stopped by the cards. Uh, but there's another side to this which is very, very curious, Susan. Uh, you can only surrender your licence if you have a licence. And apparently half of the, the people who've been disqualified uh, didn't have a licence. Uh, 30% of them never held a licence and 20% of them had a licence but it had expired according to the Road Safety Authority. Oh, I say.
9: Yes. I oh, what a sort of say doing about that, Michael. That's a problem they should be addressing. It's all fine and well them saying that 30% never had a licence, 20% have their, their licence expired, but what about the other 40% mm. when we know almost 90% hasn't surrendered their licence?
3: But the what whole thing the is mad. What name are they yeah. doing
9: about the 40%? Mm. And what are they doing about the 30 and 20% that have no licence or their licence has expired? The RSA is the single licensing authority now, and in, um, in charge of driving licences since two thousand and thirteen. So the box sto- stops with them. Mm. Now, if drivers are not producing their licence in court for the licence number to be recorded when they're disqualified, that's where the fr- first problem starts. Now, the RSA say that they're aware that some judges are asking for the licences no, they say that they're aware judges some judges are demanding or requiring the licence in court and if the person say they forgot it the judge does not proceed with that case until the licence is, the person goes home, gets the licence and brings it back because it's crucial that that licence number is not only recorded but sent to the RSA and transport. So there's a record on the driver file and transports database. So the guard, they rely on that. Now that's where the first failing starts. But the RSA have a second chance to get that licence number and that's when the person is required to surrender their licence. The RSA write out to them, giving them 14 days mm. to surrender their licence. They, send them, they say they send them a second reminder letter. Now, we know that something like 8,000 last year, mm. almost 8,000, did not comply with that requirement. Mm. And yet the RSA is washing their hands of that too. They're saying, that's not our problem. We send information to the Gardaí, and it's totally up to the Gardaí to apprehend these people and take them off the roads. But how how in God's name can the Gardaí apprehend and identify these people at the roadside? If, number one, they haven't produced their yeah. licence in court, so the number hasn't been recorded, number two, they haven't surrendered their licence, hold on to it and, as you say, produce it to the Gardaí at the roadside. Unless the Guardies, is a local Gardaí in the local area stopping mm. a local person that they have summons to court and been part of the prosecution.
3: And you she know more. You, you know more about this than anybody uh, or most people, Susan. And I know you won't mind me mentioning Stephen. Uh, and Stephen was taken off the road, innocently taken off the road at half four in the morning on Saint Stephen's Night, 15 years ago, by uh, learner driver who didn't have L plates and wasn't taxed, and ended up being prosecuted and fined. But He knocked your husband down, and your husband died as a a result of that, which is why you set up uh, the park group. Uh, I don't know if you drive yourself, uh, but uh, if you do, or anybody listening to us drives, or if you're a passenger in a car ever, you'll quite often see very questionable driving, and you'd wonder, how on earth did that person ever get a licence? And you'd have to ask yourself, looking at these statistics, how many people are on the road that don't have a licence? Yeah, these are all
9: problems that are problems of the road safety effects we believe. The problem starts there. If they do not sort the problem out at the source, then it's escalating on down to the the, the Gardaí not being able to identify these people that should not be off the road. We have members in Park. one family in particular, my heart goes out to them, Cathy and Tony Reid. They lost their only son and I had them run in Dublin the driver that knocked him down and killed him had three, three disqualifications, Michael, mm. at the time of the fatal crash. Mm. Now, he was convicted, and he's got another 10-year ban. Mm. Now, how many people have to die on our roads before the RSA work constructively with the other agencies, with the court service, with the Guardi, with transport, with justice. The whole lot of them need to get their act together and work. Now the Minister for Justice mm. gave a statement to the Irish examiner I think yeah. yesterday. That's right, yeah. Saying that he was appalled, alarmed mm. at the amount of people not surrendering their licenses. And he's asked for the the Court Service in the RSA to look into the procedure in court for recording license numbers so that if they don't surrender them at least they have the license number and they can identify these mm. people not just by name and address that is not enough the RSA will not put that on a database unless they're 100% sure that they can match the driver with the license
3: and the examiner also reported but, that there's a report to that, come from the Gardaí yes. on that as well yeah
9: Mm-hmm. But having said all that, a working group was set up in 2014 Michael, mm. by the Minister for Justice, by the Justice and Transport Department, who has re- to deal with penalty point issues. And that included looking into the procedure in court and everything to do with penalty points, qualifications, you name it. And they have representatives on that working group from Justice and Transport are the the heads of this group, but they've represented us from the RSA, the Court Service, the Gardaí, the DDP's office, you name it, they're on that working group. So if that was set up in 2014, how is our Minister for Justice alarmed and surprised at the escalating numbers not surrendering their licences? Surely that should have been discussed.
3: Well, he's working I, I, I'd be surprised if he is surprised uh, because I'm sure he's <laughs> under constant pressure from yourself, Susan, and I'm sure you'll keep him under that pressure. I have yes, to leave it there for wondering. the moment, though, Susan. Right, thank thank you. you, thank you very right. much indeed, Susan Gray, chairperson of Park.
6: Michael Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. Tensions are high, it seems an understatement, but uh, it's certainly true that tensions are high uh, between farmers and farmers, between farmers and factories, between farmers, factories and retailers, and indeed uh, between everyone and uh, the Minister, it would seem. Uh, The beef plant protests uh, continue and uh, the factories are... Suggesting uh, there could be a legal remedy or they may end up taking this to the courts uh, in other language. Uh, Let's uh, hear more with Pat O'Toole, news correspondent with uh, the Irish Farmers Journal. A very good morning to you, Pat, and thanks for joining us. Uh, This is going on for about a a fortnight uh, at this stage and uh, it's certainly turning into a crisis, isn't it?
6: It started out as a crisis. Um, It's getting ever more serious for all sides. The stakes are so high now for the farmers, having gone this far, and remember, the farmers are hurting themselves because a lot of them would have cattle uh, finished, which should be going to slaughter. Mm. And when they go uh, out of spec, there's very strict criteria around uh, uh, quality bonus payments. And as cattle go over age or out of spec or overweight, farmers are losing money on them and they're also costing money to
3: keep. So, and that's why they're uh, passing the pickets. But if they didn't pass the pickets, there wouldn't be the threat of legal action.
6: Um, well, uh, the legal action is not against the passing of the tickets, but the the pickets. But yeah, I, I take be, your point that be, well, well, it's <laughs>
3: the same thing. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, the 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 people wanting to get their livestock into the factories are passing pickets. The pickets are, are illegal blockades, technically speaking. Uh, but they wouldn't have to blockade illegally if they didn't look on the other farmers as scabs. Um,
6: yeah. Well, I suppose. The reality is that farmers don't have the same rights as, say, trade unions because farm organisations are regarded as associations of people who are effectively sole traders. Um, and uh, they are not allowed to collectively withdraw their goods and services. Um, there's a variety of ways the law can be used against farmers. Mm. Uh, Competition could be, authority can uh, move it. Exactly. Out, yeah, yeah. And uh, so so it's not just as simple as, but, but you're right in, in that um, the attempts by farmers on the gates to prevent Uh, persuade um, other farmers from delivering their cattle um, has caused friction on on the pickets. Four people seriously
3: injured?
6: Yeah. um, Mm. The beef plan movement have been um, putting... uh, They set out guidelines at the start. They have actually withdrawn now from four different factories where they felt that the guidelines weren't being observed. And they did reiterate last night that it's very important for members... Uh, and anyone protesting there to adhere to the guidelines. Uh, So it's about it's supposed to be about persuasion and not about prevention.
3: Uh, And it it may end up in the courts because people have uh, been trying uh, to prevent others from getting into the factories. And that may be a a legal option for the factories. Uh, But it it may end up being debated or uh, uh, judged, if you like, uh, at the Tullamore show on Sunday. or, Or should the minister be there? Do you think his invitation will be withdrawn?
6: It's unlikely the invitation will be withdrawn. I think um, uh, Tullamore Shaw have a right to invite the Minister for Agriculture and uh, he doesn't have an obligation to attend, but he certainly has a right to attend. The Beef Plan Movement or any other farm organisation have a right to make their feelings known to the Minister. So, I mean, on all sides... Mm. Uh, thankfully, um, we still have, you know, um, not, largely have normality in our in our politics and our public public engagement, uh, unlike other countries. Um, and it would be it would be a bad move, I think, and a sad move if if we had to uh, impair those rights. But within that, I think it, everyone will be encouraged to behave responsibly. Um, the Tullamore Show uh, is a showpiece for for farming mm. for farmers, uh, and as such. Uh, It's a family day out, and as such, I think the hope will be that the show is not unduly disrupted uh, by any action that farmers decide to take uh, in pursuit of their political
3: aims. Okay, but hopefully uh, the complaints are made democratically to the Minister, but there will be complaints. Uh, He's going to get an earful, isn't he?
6: The feelings are running extremely high. Um, The Minister... Um, gave an extensive interview last yesterday evening on Drive Time on Radio One, and he went through the issues. But I think farmers feel that his uh, ag- agreement with with M.I.I. that that um, farmers have to leave the gates before talks should start um, means that he's he's not being a an honest broker. That they feel that if they leave the gates lose all power and that while the factories are willing to talk, that they're not willing to listen and that for years now the factories have basically just passed on all the pain that the the food chain may provide at various times. Mm. All of it's passed back to the farmer. There's no shared pain. Uh, The factories just take a margin and they inflict losses on the farmers.
3: Okay, I have to leave there, Pat. Thanks for joining us this morning. Pat O'Toole, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal.
7: Michael Reid on on LMFM.
3: Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good
7: morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Some reaction already to the discussion at the top of the show regarding climate change. Um, Pat from a boy phoned in, and Pat says... I have a pain in my face, Michael, listening to this yoke. <laughs> do they think Ireland is responsible for the troubles of the whole world? We seem to be taking it on our shoulders. We have to do this, we have to do that. I think, Michael, you should go to America and run the whole show over there. It's ridiculous what's going on in Ireland. Now they're telling us we can't eat meat, we can't do this, we can't do that. Was a time in this country, we'd be glad to have a piece of meat. I think they've gone way over the top, it'd give you a headache listening to it every day. He says he's not worried about climate change, that Ireland is just such a small country that it's not us who are is causing the problem he says if someone sneezes in brussels we catch the flu and it's just not fair this country's on its knees recession might be over for some people but not everyone. Tell that to the fella trying to live on 200 euro a week or tell that to the fella with no home. Apart okay. from all right.
3: Okay, well fair enough. Uh, I suppose uh, the truth is is that uh, this isn't a report on what we should be doing in Ireland. It's a global report uh, from scientists from across the world and uh, they've been saying to all of the people in the world that we need to eat less meat. Not that we should stop eating meat but that we need to eat less meat and to change our diets so that Uh, we do less damage to the environment and if we don't have interest in climate change uh, well then we won't have a planet to pass on to our children and our grandchildren.
7: Colin from Drogheda says telling us what we can and cannot eat now this country is getting worse had you in Kells. Listening to the debate going on, I think some of these Greens are total loonies. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever what we do because we're such a small country. Europe, so hypocritical, importing beef from South America so that France and Germany can sell their cars and machineries out there. That's what it's all about, nothing else. One other thing, one bullock or one cow here doesn't cause the same damage as a bullock or cow in Brazil because of the damage to the rain. There,
3: okay, Patty. well, uh, the scientists have spoken, they are scientists from across the world, including uh, the Irish scientists that I, I mentioned uh, this morning. You can choose to listen to them or not. You're not being made to do anything, uh, but they are suggesting that if you don't listen, you won't have a planet to pass on to your children. Let's uh, turn our attention to something else. Uh, we'll go to our D Guard station uh, following uh, fatal road traffic accident, uh, real tragedy and indeed some concern for some other people who were involved in this crash inspector ronan Carey, acting district officer for rd is on the line and uh, very good morning to you, inspector and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, it was a, a very tragic incident that uh, occurred in the middle of the afternoon yesterday uh, perhaps you, you'd tell us more i know you're appealing for information as well
10: good morning michael that's correct uh, first just to give some information uh, we uh, attended the scene of a fatal road traffic collision yesterday as you're aware in the Essexford area of County Loud um, just shortly after 3 p.m. Emergency services were alerted to that. So uh, our officers uh, from RD Garda station and from uh, uh, also the Roads Policing Unit in in Loud and also Garda.
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
10: So subsequent to that, uh, as you know, we have unfortunately uh, one fatality as a result of that. Um, and we also have a, a, a teenage boy who is also injured. Uh, he's in Drogheda, or Lady of Lords Hospital. And also we have a, another another man who is uh, seriously ill in Talla Hospital in Dublin. So he's currently undergoing treatment. So that's the current position at the moment. Um, and
3: the 15-year-old boy and the man who is said to be in his 70s and now deceased were travelling in a, a car that collided with a, a van and it's the driver of the van who is the man in his 40s who's in hospital, is that right? That's
10: correct, Michael. Yeah, that's sure correct.
3: Okay. Uh Do please continue.
10: So at this stage, Michael, overnight we conducted uh, an examination of the scene by our forensic collision investigators. So we worked through there till almost 4am this morning uh, with the assistance of... Um, loud fire brigade uh, which enabled us to get the scene um, examined and to get the roads reopened this morning so at this stage uh, our investigation is undergoing, there's a conference this morning in RD Garda station but my attention at this stage is is to make an appeal to the public and that is for information Uh, we're critically looking for uh, any witnesses Uh, who may have uh, witnessed what happened at the scene yesterday. Um, They may think the information that they have is is not important or insignificant, but we are very uh, anxious to speak to them. Uh, We're very anxious to speak to anybody that may have seen uh, an English-registered Ford Mondeo um, car um, and also a van, a Ford Transit van uh, with a 151D registration on it as well, and the collision occurred between these two vehicles. And as I said, the time was approximately 3pm, and it's in Essexford. It's on the wide, good stretch of the road between Ballykelly there in Louds and in Essexford, just as you, as you enter into County Monon. So anybody at all, uh, we're anxious to speak to them. And if
3: am, I, am I right in uh, assuming, Inspector, that you're saying uh, not necessarily somebody who witnessed the collision, but if uh, people noticed those vehicles in or around that time in that area that they could make contact with you?
10: That's correct, Michael. Yeah. They may not have witnessed the, the, the collision, uh, but they may have uh, seen those vehicles. Um, they may have um, observed something that, that may be of interest to us. And again, as I said, our appeal is for information. Let 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 anybody contact us and we'll decide about the information. And we'll be very grateful to hear from anybody.
3: Uh, and where should they contact you? In RD, is it?
10: If they contact us at RD Garda Station, I'll give you two phone numbers. Please do, um, yes. So there's 041 685 two. That's 041 6853 trouble 2 uh, but there's also another number there which is uh, during the day which is 041 687 1137 that's 041 687 1137 but also on, either on the confidential telephone line which is 1800 trouble 6 1 that's 1800 trouble 6 trouble 1 we'd be delighted to speak to them
3: Okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, An awful tragedy, Inspector, and obviously uh, our condolences uh, to the family of uh, the deceased, and uh, I'm sure best wishes uh, to those who were injured in that uh, uh, incident yesterday, Uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Inspector Ronan Carey, who's uh, the Acting District Officer for RD. Now let's go back uh, to some more of your thoughts and uh, you've uh, more comments for us there. I
7: have indeed. Still more, Michael, on the climate change discussion. Paddy texts in and says growing forests, 30-year forests are no good, especially for the environment. Experts say we need to be growing 100-year trees to make any real change. This ain't going to solve any farming environmental problems soon, says Paddy, who's from Chairman Fekin. Okay. Uh, it's another text or in, no name says, reads. I'm I'm assuming that's referring to you Michael delusional climate mania and his continuing lack of research was perfectly exemplified by his continuous use of the term percent this morning when he should have used the term degrees instead. That average surface temperature has been rising for the best part of 12,000 years except for a brief 400 year cooler period which commenced approximately 700 years ago the warmth over the last 150 years is merely returning Turning the average global temperature to the time the Vikings grew crops in Greenland and wine was grown extensively in central England. Okay. Joe from Kells, listening into the discussion on climate change, the whole practicality of this global warming has gone a bit astray. Things, Joe, he says. I know a bit about electricity, and the big one is is that if you have all, if you had all electric cars here in the morning, and any decent town that had them, and all the cars were plugged in at the one time, the whole system would blow up. Michael, we're not prepared for it. Haven't got things in place. Cabling is not up to scratch. Or the transformers. You have to look at the beginning and the end of something. Very good.
3: Okay. right. Well, I suppose that's one of uh, the challenges that lies ahead and how to generate electricity.
7: Just moving then from that to uh, surrendering licences, Michael, or Mm. not. Uh, A listener wants to know, Mairead says, if they uh, haven't surrendered their licence, does that mean that they are still driving around?
3: No, not necessarily. They may be. And that is the question, I suppose, uh, that has been asked of uh, the thousands of people who have been disqualified, who haven't surrendered their licence. They still have the licence, the Mm. physical piece of paper or the card, whatever type of licence you have these days. And it's not valid but if you're stopped by the guards the guard doesn't know it's not valid so mm-hmm. if you have your licence and all all of the other things are in place your tax your insurance and so on you're just going to get waved on
7: Okay well Frank tweeted Surely the simple answer is to remand the offenders in custody until such time as they surrender the licences
3: Well maybe so I don't know Yeah
7: Okay, so moving from that, mm-hmm. uh, Michael, I have a couple still in from the discussion yesterday on dog felling. Uh, Mark phoned in to say that he was listening in and that on one occasion he decided to stop a man who was letting his dog poo all over the pavement because he just saw red because he was coming behind and he said he will not be repeating the experience. No, 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 no I <laughs> do that, yeah.
3: your man took the head off and nearly killed abuse, him. Yeah. The abuse mm-hmm. that he got yeah, because he yeah, yeah.
7: says some people there's just no changing them yeah so that was his thoughts on it. Another listener says, "I agree that there should be more enforcement re dog felling. I would mm. also suggest Michael that there should be more bins for those responsible owners who are trying. Mm. Uh, that there is an awful lot uh, of towns uh, I walk regularly," says this listener, "and there's a lot mm. that don't have enough bins, mm. and then people you could be left carrying a couple of bags, which is not the end of the world. Mm. But I do think if there was more bins, it would be it would encourage yeah, people. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, no, there's merit in that." But uh, did you think that when you bought the dog? You know, these are the things you have to think of when you get a dog. A dog isn't for Christmas and all of that. You know, these are, are the considerations. Yeah. Well,
7: no, no, I'm speaking as a dog owner. Yeah, you know, well, it's your
3: responsibility. No, you know? no, I
7: do mm. agree. It's, it's definitely your responsibility. Mm. But I don't know if it's something you'd necessarily mm. think of. Are there going to be enough bins when I'm walking my dog? Well,
3: I don't know. But I mean, when you're thinking of getting a dog, maybe you should think of all of the consequences. You're meant to walk them. You're meant to pick up after them and if the bins aren't there well maybe you can decide well they, I, I got nice a dog listener, I got a dog, and all of a sudden they should have the bins that weren't there before I got the dog
7: No because you know something Michael if you don't have a dog mm-hmm. you're not really aware of how many bins might be in a certain area mm-hmm. you wouldn't be yeah, aware it's yeah. like anything if you, if you don't have a child you're not really aware well, of I know people who I know,
3: I know people who've decided not to get a dog because they wouldn't be bothered with all of that
7: and that's fair enough. Yeah, because that's the bins because
3: the bins aren't there. Maybe if the bins were there they'd have decided to get a dog
7: maybe so Mm. they've obviously thought every single aspect of it through fair play Mm. to them Mm. but I'm saying it's not something from my point of view that Mm. I'm only saying from my experience and we took a dog Mm. from the you know from Mm. the animal shelter Mm. uh, because it was going to be put down so Mm. the sympathy was given out and we took the dog but Mm. it wasn't I would not have even thought that's the truth Mm. of the bins oh that's fair enough I mean
3: as I say it's a valid point it's terrible that you have to walk around with that but that doesn't justify not picking it
7: up no I agree mm. no, I, do, I mm. do agree with that the bins that. aren't but the point there that this, the bins aren't
3: there that's the situation
7: and the point there's potholes in the road that's the situation that, the mm. the road, the
3: situation. that
7: feels that it would oh, maybe yeah. encourage mm. others yeah. as this sister says I still well, I, I still pick up I mean, and I still use I, my bag I so I this agree. is a responsible person and it's just making a suggestion yeah.
3: well if I, if I was uh, spending the money in Louth County Council I think I'd spend the money on the bins rather than the graffiti that they have put in place
7: okay Grania says Um, in relation to prosecutions says that people are going to have to step up to the mark Mm. that you're going to have to ring in if this is something Mm. that is really bothering you and make that complaint because Mm. you can't expect the council staff to be everywhere in the county to spot what is going on
3: well that's true but (laughs) don't be surprised that they're nowhere (laughs) that's the problem Uh, is it just men I hate to have a a, a male female type of conversation but is is it just men that don't pick up after dogs
7: no because I have to say and I'm being absolutely Mm. honest here uh, my husband does most of the picking up
3: right, yeah well I know but there are men who pick up there's lots of men who pick up yeah I don't the people who don't pick up is it just men no I don't think so no. Okay, right. So you think women just look up to the sky and pretend that they don't notice what the dog is doing and that they've just stopped to take a, a breath of air themselves and the dog?
7: I, I'd imagine. I don't think you could blame one sex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just wondering As because... Much, yeah, I don't I, think I don't so know. I, I
3: don't know. Do, it's something that irks you. Well, well men have a funny to- attitude towards the toilet, you see. Okay. Uh, and, I mean, you'll see this if you go into a restaurant or a pub.
7: Okay, where is this going? Uh,
3: well, Go it's going to the toilet seat, which right. is, which is covered in wee. Okay. And I'm just wondering, do they do that at home? Uh, do they do it just in public places uh, that other people have to use after them? Or or what is it if they live with, with the woman, mindset if they, of they, people <laughs> that do that? Uh, are they the same people who don't pick up after their dogs?
7: I, I'd imagine if you if you share your house with other people, you probably wouldn't get away with doing that at home. Wait, and what maybe, would you do?
3: They They tell you to... Do something else, so exactly. you so you, you clean know it's, up, you so you know yourself, or or else, so you know it's wrong. Yes. and you clean up at home out of fear.
7: Yeah, so, so but, maybe in a public but you, place, you don't do they it they get in a public place.
3: Yeah, although I've heard the ladies' toilets are sometimes uh, in an awful state as well. But okay, okay
7: probably not as bad as the men's maybe from what mm. it, from the perception I'm ah, getting from yeah, yourself there
3: yeah, I don't know maybe it's just me <laughs> mm.
7: maybe it is Michael mm. <laughs> anyway we'll finish mm. on that one there okay,
3: thanks for that and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us if you'd like to add to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you our telephone number is 1850 715 Michael Reed on, on LMFM FM. now some of you may be old enough uh, to remember life in uh, this country in uh, the 1980s uh, it's a uh, uh, time time when a member of Angarda, Shia Khanna uh, was sacked for having a child out of wedlock wedlock and as the Irish times reported uh, this week it's a time when a gay man a man who they've called Liam uh, was sacked from Angarda Shia Kona uh, because of his sexuality, it seems. Uh, we're going to talk about this uh, with the Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. A very good morning to you and thanks morning, for joining us. Uh, Liam uh, is looking for an apology. Uh, he's met with Drew Harris. He's shown him documents. Uh, the documents are, are quite telling uh, because they date back to 1982 when he was asked to leave and uh, it says uh, that Liam's services were dispensed of due to suspicions of... His alleged involvement in homosexual activity, this follows on from him being seen down in Burkey, uh with uh, some other people. Uh, there was also a question of him being in a, a place uh, where his car was stolen that was frequented by other gay people. There was no question of sexual activity mm-hmm. because we're talking about a, a time in history when it was not illegal to be gay, but it it was illegal to be sexually active, uh, to engage in homosexual activities. Uh, But it seems as though he was dismissed. Uh, How should this be handled now, do you think?
8: Well, (coughs) this is an appalling um, turn of events, but I don't think we should be surprised. And you set the context very well, Michael, 1982, uh, and indeed before that and after that. And still for some um, people, Ireland has been and can still be at times a very cold place, a hostile place for LGBT citizens. Um, Particularly so in Liam's case, as he was a member of Angarda Shea of course the police force that's charged with enforcing and upholding the law. Uh, And at that time, and until 1993 of course, as we'll recall, um men engaging in homosexual acts was in fact a criminal activity it really
3: is hard to believe I think to to believe. just repeat what you
8: said yeah. just for, for until 1993 yeah. men engaging yeah. in yeah. homosexual acts mm. one man who loves another man yeah. um, could be sent to prison could be sent to prison yeah. uh, have a criminal record uh, and have that hanging over and all the implications of that for the rest of your life. So Ireland was a very cold and a very hostile place. But that was the law. You know, It was It was I mean, the law we, at the time. We, we but can look
3: back with the benefit of hindsight and open minds and liberal views that we have these days and say that was wrong, it was repugnant, and it, it was probably all of those things. But it was the way, and that was the law. But what happened to Lee
8: was not the law. That's right. I mean, he, he was not found... And this is the extraordinary thing. I mean, I think the the, the language um, that that um, screams out at us in those files... By the way, files that Liam himself did not have access to, but files that have been found because of his commitment to trying to get to the bottom of this. Um, very, very interesting indeed. Um, they find that he was an exemplary member from Gardaí Chicana. He was just about to complete his two-year probationary period mm. in the full expectation that he would uh, be a full member of Garda Khanna his behaviour was exemplary he was an exemplary guard um, they became suspicious about his activities when they were the, the mem- members of Garda Khanna Dublin were investigating the murder of a man called Charles Self uh, a gay man who I understand worked as a set designer in RTE Uh, They did some investigation into the kind of company, as it were, that uh, Liam was keeping. Mm. Uh, And remember, and this is important, it was not illegal to be gay, but it was illegal and unlawful to be engaged in Mm. sexual acts with other Mm. men. They did not find at any point in time, uh, that even under the law that existed then, and the series of laws Mm. um, around this that existed then, that he had breached the law. Mm. So... Essentially, it seems to me... It was all um, but illegal, though. I mean, all, absolutely, and this was the atmosphere and the tone that mm. we had here. Remember, Michael, mm. as well. This was 1982, mm. right? 1982 was the year when an individual called Decton Flynn, a young gay man in Dublin, mm. was murdered. In well, the the court found, in fact, that it was manslaughter mm. and not indeed murder. He was attacked, mm. uh, savagely beaten because of his sexual orientation, mm. and the individuals who were responsible for uh, the mm. killing of Declan Flynn were convicted of manslaughter and actually received suspended sentences. In, so, in, this in, is the context. In, of the in time.
3: 1982, there were 100 gay people in this country, and they all met in the George. And every time they came out of the George, they were beaten up. And that was it. There were no other gay people in this country. If there had been any other gay people in this country, they went to England. Uh, and and this is a point I've made time and, and time anybody again. anybody else who, who decided... To tell anybody else that they were gay, it might as well have been illegal because they were ostracised, completely, completely ostracised and utterly ostracised. S- S- Coventry, ostracised, and, uh, and you, you couldn't even say that's wrong. Leave them alone. You you, you couldn't defend them. You you, you couldn't no, no be their friend. Whatsoever. It was a cold place. It, it was, was a hostile all, place. All but illegal, and, and,
8: and, and people people mm. had to leave this country. Mm felt that they would no option. I yeah. made this point getting back to what, what we did last year I produced a piece of legislation. Mm. This is why ago. we asked you to come in Absolutely. because you asked for an that, amnesty. That, 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 that provided for two things. One was a, a state apology mm. to acknowledge mm. the, the wrongdoings that this state visited upon the, the LGBT plus community uh, since the foundation of the state and in fact before that uh, under, under British laws and under British rules that we actually uh, decided to maintain lock, stock and barrel right up until 1993 and in some cases beyond with other aspects of, of, of legislation so we secured that. But that doesn't mean that the business is finished. Um, we have many, many uh, older uh, gay men who received convictions mm. uh, for a certain activity that was illegal uh, before 1993. And once a criminal law day, is a criminal. Once a criminal law remains on your record. Uh, and I'm working at the moment with the Department of Justice uh, and uh, we're trying to find a mechanism um, that... Uh, Elegantly resolves these issues and in a respectful way, where individuals can have their records essentially expunged mm. to allow them to. Because the next stage of that apology process is that coming to terms with our past and ensuring that the mm. individuals are convicted of, of offences that are no longer offences yeah. and haven't been since 1993 have, <clears throat> have a clear record. Now, it's interesting because, and I think just to talk a little bit more about the context. Mm. I'd found it when I started this campaign, essentially, with with, uh, a number of uh, other individuals and groups, that it was very difficult to get men who have convictions to actually come forward to speak about this. Mm. And I think this uh, illustrates the wider problem. It is still difficult for individuals like Liam Mm. to discuss... How they were treated and to mm. I- engage at that level. And it's difficult for us to try to identify who was convicted and what mm. they were convicted of if individuals yeah. are finding it very mm. difficult themselves to forward And one of the key things here is, and this goes back to the issue with Angara Chikana and the culture at the time of deeply conservative force, there's a mistrust. With all the members of the gay community, because of their treatment at the hands of Angarashikana, because of the laws and the culture and the tone, yeah. Of and I've argued, at the you, time. Right, I've argued it with you. I've argued with you. I mean, as to whether
3: those convictions should be quashed because it, it was illegal at the time, even if the law was wrong. But you know, you could argue that we've all but decriminalized drugs now, and that next year people who had drug convictions could come forward to look for their convictions to be quashed because of what you're suggesting should happen to people who were found guilty of engaging in homosexual acts or whatever phrase was put on that. And that—that that is an argument, I think, that is legitimate. One way or another, a decision needs to be made. But with Liam, it seems... Clear cut, in that it doesn't matter what he was doing in a pub in Temple Bar. It doesn't matter what he was doing in board's business. None yeah, of our yeah. business, and he certainly wasn't caught engaging in illegal acts. And, and,
8: and that's the point. And that's and, f- and he lost his job as right, a and member and of McCarthy. And That's why two things need to happen mm. um, uh, over the next short period of time. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. The first is the state has acknowledged that uh, a, a, an enormous wrong was done to members of the LGBT plus community. Mm collectively and individually, because of our laws and because of the culture uh, that pertained in this society up until relatively recently. And I want to move on mm. to something else just after that. So what does that, that mean? If the state, through the to Shannon and, 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 and the Doll, uh, just over a year ago, acknowledged those wrongs and apologised to individuals uh, and collectively to the LGBT plus community, then it follows uh, that Angara Chikana should directly apologise formally to Liam because of his treatment and his unfair dismissal mm. and they should also, in my opinion provide for compensation for loss of earnings and so on, as you would in terms of looking at yep. the moment, the, the mm. provisions under for example the Unfair Dismissals Act and in fact maybe even more in terms of the hurt and distress that has been caused to him and the impact that this has had on his life mm. I am certain that there are more Liam's out there uh, individuals who may have worked in other uh, uh, areas of the public service who are very poorly treated for example, Michael uh, it wasn't until the, we amended the Equal Status Act in 2015, after the marriage equality referendum, uh, uh, that um, uh, issues pertaining to LGBT plus teachers could be addressed. Mm. For example, there, we, we, we had in 1999, in, sorry, the year 2000, the Equal Status Act came in. That essentially meant that um, you because your sexual orientation could against, not be discriminated yeah, against yeah, in terms of, of yeah, goods and services yeah. or on your employment. Yeah. Okay and that was uh, we had to wait a number of years to amend that to make sure that for example gay teachers could not be discriminated against by Catholic run schools yeah or indeed Protestant-run schools, if it was a case that somebody's sexual orientation uh, managed to conflict with the ethos of a particular school. Well, the point is that they were being discriminated against by Catholic schools, because Catholic
3: schools were openly saying, we're not employing you because Because of of your your sexual orientation. Sexual orientation, which was, Mm.
8: I think most of us would Mm. agree, wrong. But (laughs) it took many, many years for us Mm. to address this as a society in Mm. legislation. There was actually an out in Mm. the 2000 uh, uh, Equal Status Act and so on and Employment Acts, and we amended that in 2015, to address that anomaly uh, and that, that 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 shortcoming. So we've travelled a long journey, but we still have some degree of di- distance to go before we have full equality for LGBT plus citizens mm. in this country. For example, last week, uh, and I've been supporting the group since they were established, we have now a local we we'll call Outcomers Group uh, in Drahda, and uh, listeners will be very familiar with the work of Bernadine Quinn and others in the, in the Outcomers Dundalk, Group in yeah. Dundalk, mm-hmm. an absolutely fantastic organisation mm-hmm. Bernadine reminded us all last week at the Outcomers Drahda launch in fact that the group essentially was launched in Drahda back in the early 1990s in the Drada Resource Centre uh, when a group of people came together to try to establish a support group for LGBT mm-hmm. uh, citizens in the area uh, it essentially moved to Dundalk, grew as a fantastic organisation supporting uh, not just younger people but all mm-hmm. LGBT plus citizens we now have a group in Drada. Why is there a group in Drada, people ask me. Hasn't, hasn't the world become a much better place for LGBT plus citizens? Yes, it has, but there's still a long way to go. We can change all the, all the laws that we want, but it takes a while for attitudes to change. There are still people who find it difficult to come to terms with their sexuality and sexual orientation. Mm. Not just younger people as well, older people too. And this moves on then to the point that I want to make about how we actually deal with issues pertain to older older LGBT mm. citizens, like Liam for example who didn't grow up and didn't work in an environment yeah. that yeah. was as supportive as it is now for younger LGBT plus citizens. <laughs> he didn't citizens. work in the environment well, because he, did, he was not Well he didn't, not for very long. Yeah, for yeah, very long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, something that could mm. not happen now, yeah. uh, having said yeah. that there are very subtle forms of discrimination mm. that are still there uh, that still go unchallenged, and that's why we need groups mm-hmm. like... Oh, and many of them. them I example, mean, we all in, talk the talk, days. but I don't think we all walk
3: the walk, but okay, go
8: ahead. Uh, I, 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 absolutely. So we still have some way to go mm-hmm. um, before we have full equality for LGBT citizens. Mm-hmm. For example, there's one issue that I'm working on at the moment myself, uh, and others are indeed as well, uh, with um, LGBT Ireland and other organisations, and that is to make sure that there's you know, full rights for LGBT plus mm-hmm. parents. Um this is an issue that needs to be addressed. 2015 legislation addressed that, uh, where a full parenting rights, uh, for example, you know, both parents in LGBT mm-hmm. your family can have their names on the birth cert over there. It's common. Um, it's common to see that in Scandinavian countries and other progressive countries around Europe, reflecting the reality of mm-hmm. that family makeup. There yeah, are many yeah. many forms of family composition mm-hmm. these days, yeah. and the you know, one parent not being on a birth cert, yeah. uh, that needs to be addressed. My understanding is it will be addressed but it's going to take a, another period of time to do that. With the response from the Minister for Health last week, it's okay. going to take another I, few months.
3: I, I think uh, Liam's story highlights a, a situation uh, that quite rightly belongs in the past, but is part of the lives that many people are living today. Uh, and that's why we asked you to come in. I'm, I write in it assuming... Uh, wasn't expecting you to say what you had said a, a about uh, people who had convictions, but uh, the way I heard it was, you want to hear from uh, men in particular who have we're, convictions. We're,
8: we're working, we're working on a process at the moment, and it's at a delicate enough point, um, trying to work out with the Department of Justice and on Garda uh a way to enable people with convictions to come forward uh, in a respectful and a sensitive way um, to to deal with this, because that's the second part of the legislation that. Uh, I developed a couple of years ago because without those exonerations uh, and the expunging of records, it's going mm-hmm. to be very difficult for individuals to move on. And they may ask, well, what's the point of a state apology if I can't secure... Uh, uh, sure, that's a, that's a, that's they, a mechanic, though. Uh, it uh, is, uh, but... But, it, but do, you want, yeah. do you want to hear from them personally? W- w- we're set. I've no difficulty with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay. I mm-hmm. had been contacted mm-hmm. since we started this process a couple of years ago by individuals who mm-hmm. wanted to make a contribution to try to design a process... Whereby exonerations and mm. and the expungement of convictions could be could be could be kind of developed. Um, we're, at, we're in a process, as I said, with the Department of Justice at the moment. It's going to take a little while. We want to get this right, uh, and we want this to be done in a respectful, sensitive way, and to ensure as well that the confidentiality of those who come forward is mm. absolutely respected at all times. It afford, is actually uh, difficult, uh, Michael, uh, as well to get our ha, uh, hands on lots of these records I'm sure because many of these convictions mm. actually and there, were, 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 were uh, handed down in district courts mm. and district court key, uh, record keeping sure. in this country okay. was a little hit and
3: miss Okay and I, I imagine it's also difficult to find a mechanic or a process of quashing these convictions if that is the right thing to do without heaping injustice on top of that injustice in the first place because of the confidentiality
8: and because it's a public record and that Absolutely take. and as one individual yeah, explained yeah. to me once you get a rap of the knuckles from a Garda yeah. and the view you've always had a difficult time at the hands of a Garda yeah. um as has been the experience of okay. lots lots of gay men pre 1993 then it makes life a little bit more difficult for people to be able to trust members of the force but Okay Angara Khan has yep. moved on it's evolved uh, we've seen okay. them participate for mm-hmm. example in mm-hmm. the Dublin Pride Festival Angara has sent down, down a car and representatives from Dublin mm-hmm. actually for the Drogheda Pride uh, parade a couple of weeks ago which is a really positive mm-hmm. thing yep. uh, and Angara Shikana have moved uh, significantly uh, over the last few years, deal deal with okay. issues to do with.
3: Well, um, people can contact you directly or, or we yeah, can put absolutely. them in touch
8: with you yeah. if absolutely. they do wish to. And speak to help us to design it. that process okay. because yeah, it's I'm important right. that, okay. that, that men who have had yeah. confusion are involved yeah. okay. and we get their advice about. What kind of system works best for them?
3: Okay, thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning. Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. Michael, Michael
6: Reed on LMFM.
3: FM. Now, the central bank uh, says uh, that fewer people are moving their current account to another bank using the switching code than has been the case for the last five years. Uh, the Communications, or I beg your pardon, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission uh, wish you uh, to think about this uh, and uh, the benefits uh, that uh, you might reap from it uh, Duran Sweeney Head of Communications with the CCPC is on the line and very good morning to you Duran and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, what benefits are there in switching your current account
1: absolutely yeah well actually I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to practice what I preach I actually uh, switched my own uh, personal account last year um, to start out first I suppose We're not suggesting that you do this every couple of months or every couple of years. But for many people, including myself here, I opened a bank account when I was 17, thereabouts. And I went through student days. I then went to Working World. and I never looked at it. And I never, you know, I paid my fees and and I kept on going. And I never looked to see whether my current account was doing what Mm. I needed. But also well, there was an expectation that I I would pay fees.
3: Because some some banks will charge zero fees.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing. In the last couple of years in particular, we've seen some banks that weren't charging are now definitely charging. There's some, people, some banks that are not charging, mm. but also there's more. So some, some banks don't have the personal, you know, the customer service mm. um, the, and it's all online. There's new fintech and um, there's new offers as well too. So what we're encouraging is just initially to have a look to see what you're currently paying for your, your fees whether you could save more money by switching to it and mm-hmm. whether your needs are actually been met by your current provider. You and could get amazing.
3: better interest rates for that matter and uh, some banks will offer cash back rewards.
1: Oh, there's, there's a huge variety of offers um, out there and it, it is, I suppose, it's one of those things that you, accept, you think, you, you know, you, you just need one of those things I, I, I transact online or I buy, I expect to pay um, fees yeah. but it's amazing how much It adds up for me personally, I save about €160 by switching to um, a bank that's giving me free banking.
3: Okay, right. So it's a no-brainer, but God, would you be bothered? Life's too short, (laughs) is it
1: Well, that's what I mean. We we have to be realistic. This is not going to be something you're going to do every couple of months. But there are, I suppose, there is a switching code in place. And that is a, a standardized process across all of your banks that that will you know, that means a form will be filled, every and and a process will be followed and there's a time frame which is ten days mm. from when you sign up to it that it has to be in place. It's not the easiest process, but actually when you're in it, you move through it quicker. Um, and this happens all the time. So all of the the financial institutions are well and surely used to it now as well too. So mm. There's a little bit of a little bit of work in it but not a massive amount um, and as I said I think if you're paying particularly for paying high fees mm. you're better off having that money in your pocket instead of uh, in the bank's pocket.
3: Yeah but you may be paying high fees and low interest rates or the other way around uh, how do you know which is offering the best value?
1: Absolutely well we have we provide on our website um, comparison tools they're independent tools I think with seven per, per, or personal account providers that are on our, are on our um, website and you put in some details of what you have, and we compare, so you can identify your best one. Because it is there's multitudes on offer, and there's some that are only, um, you know, for a debit cards. Some are only for um, lodging checks. So there are a lot of different ones. So the first step is to go to ccpc.e and have a look to see. And then it's if you do identify, it's getting the information from the bank you're looking to, to make sure that it is fit for your needs and asking any questions if you're, if you're not familiar.
3: Okay, and what then? Uh, I mean, what's the physical process uh, in actually making the switch?
1: Absolutely. So once you've decided on it, your bank will give you a pack and mm. that contains all of the information um, about the current account they offer and, and the one that you're choosing. And that important contains important details about if there's conditions. So if you are entitled to free banking what, you know on a what basis, and that's important details to look at. Mm. You'll also receive a guide to the, about those fees and char- charges and account transfer form, and that's the important form. So you fill those details out and hand it back. Mm. There's a second form, then you will, you will um, sign for the bank, which authorises your new bank to contact your old bank to get all of your direct debit details, and that's a really... Good, I suppose mm. people need to be aware of. The old bank must contact um, all of you if you've Well, it's, the,
3: it's the thing that puts most people off, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, mm. that, and that, ironically, is probably mm. the least amount of work because your old bank must must let all of your, your suppliers know that you have changed account details.
3: So they'll do it all for you.
1: Absolutely. And your mm. new bank then sets up the new direct debit. So you don't have to keep on filling mm. out all new forms. Mm. It is a transfer. And that's what the, the code and the practice allows
3: for. So it'll pay your phone, it'll pay your ESB or whatever you're doing, the direct Absolutely. debit and all that yeah, sort of no, stuff. Yeah. But does okay. it close your old account?
1: You could choose to do that. okay you, choose, you can choose to do it. I suppose mm. what I would we would recommend is that you take a little bit of time so it's not immediately, just so any kind of and I suppose that's the, the slightly challenging aspect that I found with it that details were provided to suppliers by mm. my new bank, but they didn't necessarily update their systems. So there was a little bit of giving me a call and I me mean, giving them the details, but not a huge amount. But that's why it's good to keep just in case the old account and then you can decide to, to close it or to keep it um, if, if you do want to. Now, the other thing to consider is if you do have an overdraft, hmm. you do need to ask your new bank whether they will take on the new at uh, the overdraft and you'll be able to transfer it over. They may say no, um, hmm. which means that you need to, to pay down your, your overdraft. But the majority probably would accept, um, subject to obvious, your, your credit history.
3: Okay, and I suppose that's straightforward in the sense that they'll say yes or, or no, but what if they fail to do something uh, that they should have done?
1: In terms of, it, so if, for example, the account isn't opened within the ten days, mm. or yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they, we have, well, we certainly don't have done of any. Um, we wouldn't have heard anybody that hasn't had mm. that experience,
3: or your direct but, debits weren't transferred, or something like that.
1: Um, well, that would be picked up by your new bank, and okay. they they deal with that mm. um, on your behalf. So it's up to them to liaise with the old bank. That's not for you to have to be. You may get the call from a supplier, as what was my case. Um, and then they, you will may need to supply those details. But mm. it is a little bit of the, the, the initial couple of days can be a little bit trying to figure this part out. And then it runs very, very smoothly from there.
3: OK. And you're the statutory agency here as the CCPC. Uh, what about uh, these banks uh, that we can't walk into off the street and uh, talk to somebody, uh, the digital banks? Do you uh, r- endorse them?
1: Oh, well, we wouldn't endorse anybody. It all comes down to your needs. And, and that's what I mean. Is a lot of change. Some banks that would have had a lot of customer service may not now. And then other banks are pushing that as they've been their their, I suppose, their selling point. So I think it's important to look at what you want and what you need. And for some people, online banking is absolutely not what they want. For others, it may suit them more because they don't have time to get into the bank. So it all completely comes down to um, what your needs are. They're all regulated. So there are standards that the central bank would impose in terms of what they must do in consumer protection mm. so they are all the same and from that regard it just comes down to your needs and I suppose that's where if they're not been met is yes there's a little bit of work yes it may be mm. a little bit of hassle but it may be better for the long run in terms of getting the customer service if you do want to be able to walk into the bank and have a conversation with somebody or if you do want to be able to lodge cash looking to see who is the best provider for you
3: and it may not be the biggest amount of money in the world but better in your pocket than in the bank's pocket but uh, how how much would you be talking about uh, at the highest end of the scale how much could you save by doing a, a switch like this
1: well we well I from personal experience I was looking at about hundred and sixty mm. euro a uh, wow. year.
3: Well, Okay, so right, month. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um mm.
1: I, I was paying quite a high amount. Yeah. Um, mm. from looking at our website, um, at you know standards, because mm. I suppose it comes down to half to, you, you know, transact in your account. Yeah. Um, but from looking at our website, maintenance fees go from zero to 18 euro per quarter. So mm. that's quite, a, quite you know, a difference between them. But again, if you do a lot of transactions, have a lot of direct debits, a large mm. amount of, of checks, that'll creep up quite significantly. Yeah. So, um, so I definitely think it is worth... Okay. And look, yeah. it's one of those things that's on your bank statement that you may not be aware yeah. So even the first step of looking to see, how much am I paying in quarterly fees?
3: Okay. Might get a, a new pair of shoes and a, a Gansey thrown <laughs> in on top for that. All no, right. Okay.
1: <laughs> As uh, you said, definitely better uh, in your pocket than, yeah. than someone else
3: exactly ccpc.ie is the website thank you very much indeed that's uh duran sweeney head of communications with uh, the competition and consumer protection commission
0: Michael, Michael
3: Reed on LMFM. Well, we're going to talk about Flakyol Neherin, which uh, is uh, to begin uh, this uh, Sunday. As you know, uh, the President, Michael Lee Higgins, will open uh, the FLA on uh, Sunday. It runs from uh, the 11th to, to the 18th. Last year, 500,000 people visited Drogheda over the course of uh, the week. That's uh, a lot of people for a town with a population of 40,000. This year, 600,000 are expected to to visit the town. What else do we know about the flower Well, if like last year, music, singing and dancing galore, the town will be close to traffic with hardly enough room for the number of pedestrians at times with more than half a million visitors. It's good news for the economy as well. People will be here. They'll spend money. They'll drink. They'll eat and so on. And if it's like last year, they'll be relaxed and there'll be plenty of of fun for all of the family in other words kind crack August kjol worth 40 million for the economy what else do we know about the Fla well it's in Drogheda a drug fueled town where the gangsters are feuding two gangs have been involved in a violent feud violence killings attempted killings not like Dublin where people might think you can leave them at it and let them kill each other here in Drogheda the public are in the line of fire are the visitors aware How shots have been fired at women and children in broad daylight, in housing estates, outside of busy shops and retail parks, and will they be safe? Numerous innocent people are lucky to be alive because they live in Drogheda. Drogheda is a dangerous place. Petrol bombs, pipe bombs, arson attacks, the stabbings, the beatings, the threats, and the shootings. So are the merry band of Fla Festival visitors safe? Let's ask the Mayor, Paul Bell, who's on the line. A very good morning to you and thanks indeed for joining us. This has been one of uh, the concerns since this feud began uh, uh, about a year ago. And here we are a year on from the last Fla, which was one of uh, the greatest things that ever happened in the town of Drogheda, is uh, security on high alert.
2: Well, Michael, I, I'm, thank you very much for inviting me on the programme. Uh, I'm not a, a security expert, but I will say this, is that your introduction, if it was to be taken to heart by everybody who wished to visit the flag in the Heron, then nobody would come. But the fact of it is, is that hotel bookings are up, uh, the event bookings are up, uh, all the programmes are very, very much on the way to being sold out, uh, and we anticipate and are preparing for a, an even bigger gathering than we had last year. And we do believe that Drogheda is flower-ready, both from the business community, from the volunteers that we are uh, working with, and even most importantly, the citizens of Drogheda, uh, East Mead, the wider County Loud area, and County Mead. So to say that we have some challenges, we obviously always mm-hmm. will, but mm-hmm. the town is ready to go, and we are open for business.
3: The economic boost is unquestionable. Will it be good, de- good news for the cocaine dealers?
2: Well, I'm certainly not in the business of uh, promoting people who sell uh, illegal drugs, Michael. Uh, what we're hoping for is the, um, the businesses of our town will uh, obviously uh, make some degree of inroad into... Uh, uh, being successful during this period. We're absolutely convinced that they will be. Uh, the people in the business community, whether, whether they're in restaurants or public houses uh, or the, the, the various shops in our in our town, would have had a very good experience last year. Uh, they will know what, what things have to be improved for this year. And, and having spoken to many of those in the business community, uh, we do know that they are supporting the flower. And sometimes, in, in fact, Michael, mm. there will be difficulties where large crowds, such big mm. Activities ongoing all the time do sometimes impact on businesses, but businesses have, by and large, and as citizens have, uh, been prepared to walk with the with any any type of interruptions or disruption. Uh,
3: uh, and uh, the peaceful, friendly, good crack atmosphere was just uh, so evident last year. Uh, People were in great humour. The guards were in great humour. People were in great humour with the guards. The guards were in great humour with the people. But a crowd of this size is undoubtedly uh, a policing challenge. Uh, And one of the things I suppose that people need to to take into account if they're planning to visit Draught is that you won't be able to drive into the town.
2: That is correct. There will be traffic restrictions uh, which have been identified uh, in the various plans that have been published by Lao County Council uh, and there, w- there will be areas where it will be closed to traffic, obviously for safety reasons. However, the, the provisions have been made to, to support people with public transport and obviously for emergency access. There have been challenges last year where uh, parking in some communities did get out of hand and some people ignored the fact that there, there had to be permits issued and I do hope there will be a Improvement this year, especially with the knowledge that the air organisation, being Low County Council and Fláth Coileannachairn, would have of you know where we had heating problems or difficulties, uh, we're all going to work together to make sure this is a huge success for our town, mm. a huge success for our county, and that's exactly where the focus is. Uh, I do know uh, that uh, one of the, the issues that we have been addressing with many citizens in the town is that their support. In walking with the, the disruptions that will be anticipated, is absolutely key to the success of the flower, key to a positive experience for the visitor coming into our town. And don't forget something, Michael. This mm-hmm. is not just a, a domestic event. This is an international event, and many of your listeners will have witnessed many, many foreigners already in our town, coming from yeah. uh, from abroad, and indeed uh, to right throughout the county. So, and that
3: uh, is uh, that as, uh, as the mayor of uh, the town, inviting people into Drogheda uh, Can you make them feel reassured that there's no threat to their personal security?
2: Michael, I, 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 I'm quite surprised at that, that, that kind of question because no matter where we go in any event that we have anywhere in the world, people go to rock concerts mm-hmm. or they go to race meetings or they go to soccer matches, the, the authorities are responsible for the people's security and everything is done to ensure that the, the citizen security is utmost in the people's thoughts and that's exactly what we're going to do. There's been a, a good garlic policing plan mm-hmm. last year uh, working with uh, obviously the various agencies some voluntary agencies to ensure the comfort and security of citizens. I'm encouraging people to come to Flag Kjolnahirn to draw it too loud to be in the in the Mead area because th- this is a great place to be and the Boyne Valley and all its treasures is right on the doorstep. I believe that our town will form well because our, our citizens are committed and that's what it's, why it's going to be such a special event. And uh, people I'm talking to uh, are not talking about the matters that you're referring to, they're talking about making sure that our town because its best foot forward and that we did deliver the best Flark Kjolnahirn ever and we did that last year and we, I've noted that that's going to be repeated this year. Okay. There is uh, obviously one thing that I would like mm-hmm. to appeal to, to citizens for uh, and that is because uh, some uh, people have come actually from abroad to volunteer with our local volunteers to work in Flark Kjolnahirn and uh, council and Flark Kjolnahirn are asking that if people do still wish to volunteer that they would uh, present themselves uh, to council or to present uh, on the Flower website and okay. that's something that we're asking for because of the anticipation and growing anticipation of the numbers becoming bigger.
3: Great stuff. Let the festival begin and yeah. may it be joyous. Thank you indeed. Mayor you. of Drogheda, Paul Bell, brings our programme to its conclusion this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast.
2: Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior
3: odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.